0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to Freelance Friday with Vay Casey, a podcast all about freelancing through the opinions and experiences of freelancers. Today on the show, we've got my friend Jonathan Zizzo. Thanks for coming on the show, man.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Yet another friend that I've met through Weld several years back. That's right. What a dude. Tell us your story. Kind of who are you? What do you do? So
1: I'm from East Texas originally, and I, um, originally I wanted to be a graphic designer or an artist in general growing up. I would always draw, uh, whenever I was in school and I'd get in trouble. Um, my grade suffered, um, quite a bit because of that. And by the time I was in the 10th grade, I decided that, um, I wanted to be uh, a graphic designer and I, I started looking around at options and the art Institute was something that, um, I thought that I wanted to do. And I went up there with my mom and, um, uh, They set me down and they're like, it's going to be 60 grand um, for this education. And my mom was like, look, son, like, I I know you want to be an artist and everything, but uh, you know, I'm not so sure that that's a good idea. You know, you got to pay these loans off whenever you're done with school. She's like, you know, I believe in you and you can do whatever you want. Um, uh, But, you know, we can also explore, uh, financial aid or something. And so that's what we did. Um, we didn't go the art Institute route and I was super bummed. I thought my life was going to be over. Um, but I kind of got lucky cause I went to a two year college in East Texas. And, uh, from there I studied painting, drawing, sculpture, everything. I spent four years at a two year school and I eventually changed my mind about graphic design. Um, and, got introduced to photography and here I am now. So that's in a nutshell where it is. Cool, man.
0: Did you with this with college stuff, did you ever take classes or anything related to photography You kind of learn that or are you self taught and well how'd you yeah. do that?
1: So I didn't have that romantic um feeling uh with black and white like everybody else does. Um I really got turned on with photography whenever I started taking newspaper classes, uh, um, newspaper-oriented journalism classes. Um, I loved the responsibility of going out on assignment and making a portrait of someone that was going to be printed in a a page somewhere. And you had that power, that artistic impression of that person to kind of understand and portray them in a way. And I, I really fell in love with it whenever I... Got more involved and started learning how to use strobes and lighting and and things like this. Because whenever I first started photography, like I said with the the whole black and white phase, I was sort of um, ignorant with it. I just thought that a camera, you know, whatever you see is all you could capture. I didn't know that you could, you know, bring your imagination and and manipulate things uh, like the ambient lighting and and the subject so much uh, with photography and. Once I discovered that, it kind of brought uh, drawing and painting and the things I like to do together with photography. So um, I was lucky as well because the uh, photography instructor there, his name is Rufus Lovett, was a great mentor. And it was a super small school, so uh, there wasn't a whole lot of kids out there super interested in photography. And so when Rufus saw a student come along that was – uh, you know, really interested in the medium or whatever, I think he kind of took them t- under their wing and would, uh, you know, sort of help you and kind of lift you up a bit. So that was really cool.
0: It's nice to have those kind of people around. I feel like that I've, anytime that I've, when I kind of look back at my life, that there have been like definite, like kind of defining moments or people in my life that were very encouraging to me or like in high school, uh, there was this audio video class. I went to uh, like a private Christian school and one of the guys that worked at the church, uh, for whatever reason, started doing an AV class. And that was a lot of where I kind of really started to learn more of the theory behind stuff and kind of the nuts and bolts of how to shoot video well or framing shots or mixing audio and what EQ was or any of that stuff. Uh, in, and I don't know, I, I can kind of relate as, to that as far as having that connection with somebody of like, man, that one person really had a big impact on my life.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a small town out in East Texas and by the time I was 18, I couldn't wait to get out of there just cause I always felt like I was a little different. Um, I was pretty athletic growing up as well. And, um, I, I got into BMX writing and, and going to the bookstore and, and seeing, uh, pictures and magazines and things and it whenever you start doing it it was just really inspiring and uh you know i'd look at things in a magazine and take it back to the mentor and you know ask and be like how do you do this or whatever you know and he'd be like electronic flash (laughs) 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 and you know you just couldn't wait to go back to class and keep learning which is really Uh cool
0: they have, they have a lot of gear there for you to be able to like mess around with when you're doing they stuff. Had
1: a, a number of things, but I mean at that point I had um, some Vivitar flashes and, and I was experiencing all the experimenting all the time with uh, friends and on myself. I mean, that was the MySpace era yeah, as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people that know me or that still know me probably remember those goofy pictures, you know, <laughs> I used to take. And it was just to really practice uh, cause you, you know, your parents and your, your siblings don't want to be your, your your lighting subjects or whatever. And so um I would practice on anybody and everybody um all the time and just study, study, study like lighting and just look at pictures and, and magazines and just you know, I would email other photographers too and and some of them would respond, um, which was really nice too.
0: Yeah. What uh whenever you would email them, what would you like, what would you say to him and what were some of the kind of like responses you find yeah. yourself getting? Uh,
1: I would, I would ask him like, you know, what is a, what is a day in the life of a photographer? Like, um, you know, like, and uh, with this one particular female fashion photographer was like, you know, you, you start uh, around eight and, you know, you're usually testing, um, you have hair and makeup and, you, you shoot and then you have lunch and then you do another shoot and she would answer like all kinds of the questions like, you know, what kind of cameras are you using? And, um, the, the number one thing though, that, that stuck out from that, that memory was, uh, she said something towards the end, like, you know, if you just stick with it and be persistent, you know, you, you'll you go far. And it, looking back now, like doing photography for about fifteen years, it, it's definitely true. Um, you have to be uh, in love with the way you do. and if you are, I mean it'll it'll come through in the work and uh, you'll'll you'll start to have people that pay attention. so I think it's true yeah
0: what uh, what was kind of your entry into? freelance work or getting paid to do photography?
1: Right. So I moved up to Dallas in 2006 and um, I was waiting tables at the time. And I also reached out to other photographers at that point too. I remember I called Peter Yang one day because back whenever I was in college, my photography instructor used to say, this is going to be the next Peter Yang. And uh, so I called him and I was like, Peter, how do you make a transition from uh, being a photographer, uh, being a waiter and being a photographer? And he's like, you know, you just got to call in sick when you got an assignment. <laughs> 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 and so he's like, you know, if, you just got to figure out like some way to, to get in there and, and start getting some work. And once you do, you. You, you just got to figure out a job or something to, uh, make ends meet. And I mean, that's what I did. And I started working for this newspaper and I was getting paid like 50 bucks an assignment up in Anna and prosper. And this guy was basically just doing the, ma- the, the newspaper, um, for nothing. And, um, that wasn't working out too well. And then I came into Dallas and there was this rag called, uh, envy magazine, And I started uh, coming out to Dallas a lot more, trying to network, make friends. And eventually I got in doing events for that magazine. And then I started shooting a lot of parties in Dallas, like uh, ghost bar parties for like 200 bucks an event or whatever. And then from there, I started getting more assignments for Envy. Uh, And eventually I started shooting celebrities at press junkets where you have like five minutes with them. And from there, things just started to snowball a little bit more. That magazine, unfortunately, went out of business and went bankrupt. And then uh, this magazine called 944 came to town. And it was essentially the same concept, same style, regional magazine as as Envy. And I'm still friends with a lot of people that have gone on and uh, worked at other publications from those publications. And so... um, That's one good thing is like, luckily, whenever something dies, something else kind of grows. And so you, uh, you just stay persistent and keep working and, you know, get a website, get a portfolio going and start hitting the email blast and, you know, try to keep working on the, the book and the portfolio to get more assignments. And so, I mean, that's kind of how it all happened.
0: So you just, uh, are you basically just cold calling different magazines and different newspapers and saying, hey, I want to shoot for you? Or do you all have photography assignments? Or- a lot of
1: the work that I did early on was regional local magazines. Um, there's a couple that are here, like uh, D Magazine, Southwest, uh, FD, Paper City. I mean, I still shoot events for uh, Paper City. I mean, those are like $200 a- assignments. But I mean, I do it because it's a great way to be out in the public eye. Mm -hmm. And a lot of photographers think they're too good to shoot events or whatever. But when you're running around with a camera and you got business cards in your pocket, I mean, Dallas is also full of millionaires and there's people that need pictures of whatever. And so, I mean, it's a good way to network and just be out there. And, and that's, I love it and I do it.
0: That's an interesting way to go about it. Do you uh, you find yourself getting work through that a lot, or I at mean, least like people asking for information?
1: Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, um, people after they've had a couple of drinks in them, they're like, "Hey, you know, do you ever do headshots?" And then I'm like, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> so <laughs> here's a card, um, and they're like, um, or they're like they're nowadays they're usually like, you know, do you you have a card? And I'm like no, just give me your phone right now and, you know, email me and I'll make sure we get it plugged right. in right now. So that way, get it, their
0: contact it, yeah, information.
1: I try to get the con- the contact information for anybody right away. Um, I don't like the old school business card method. I think it, it's outdated now that we have phones, but it is funny that people ask or people, it's funny to me also, whenever you do a meeting with somebody and they give you a business card afterwards, yeah. like, I have your information already.
0: No, no, no. Seriously. Take one. I'm like, yeah. we are, we're working together. already. Unless you I'm got here. a nice
1: card that you really want to show off or yeah, something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know.
0: There is a little bit of like a presentation to it. Like, yeah. I try to have nice cards and I give them to people sometimes. They're like, Ooh, this is pretty nice. I'm like, it's, it yeah. works now whether they ever call me or not, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> but, uh, it's at least nice to be able to kind of like do that sometimes. Yeah. I don't know that it would work that well in that situation though, in a bar, especially if people are, you know, already a few drinks deep. And
1: these are mostly these are mostly like, uh, socialite parties or whatever. Um, and Dallas has some pretty impressive ones. I mean, there's been like the two by two event where people come in from Europe and all different ethnicities and, um, The names are so hard to uh, jot down. I usually do it on my on my phone, Um, but yeah, it's it's just a good way to network, honestly, and it's a lot of fun. To you get to attend things for free, basically, you know, be a fly on the wall, Uh which is something I enjoy doing as well. Uh, So,
0: people watching,
1: yeah, people watching.
0: Always that is that's like one of the things I've always enjoyed about events too is that. I hate that it's so many photos to call through and at some point it all just kind of feels like the same thing.
1: It's more work than it's probably more or just as much work as like any other job, uh, from a photo load standpoint. Uh, but yeah, it calling through there does suck. Cause like, if you're using a flash, you got some black frames in there or whatever, Uh and you've still got a crop and, uh, you got to enter the metadata or whatever, or like the names to the files. But I mean, it keeps you busy. It keeps things fresh. It keeps uh, work from being stale. And it's a reason to throw on a suit sometimes or whatever, or just well, get dressed to go out.
0: And- I think it's fun. Like you're talking about, you have to go to these events for free. Basically, you get paid to go to them. Yeah, and they typically will feed you. And you can get drinks for the night. Yeah, you know, just like fun. yeah, get whatever you want, <laughs> the, and and you're getting. And you're getting to sit and people watch and stare at people and they don't care. It's just not observe, like weird yeah. and just like, I just want to observe people because it, people fascinate me. And it's just interesting to see just the, the, the breadth of how different people are.
1: Right. And having a camera gives you the license to walk up to anybody and start a conversation.
0: That too. Yeah.
1: Because in a social setting, especially nowadays, everybody's always on their phones or people just don't like being approached as much. Like if they, if they don't know you, I feel like. But if you have a camera, everybody wants to have their picture taken to be in the back of the magazine. So it's kind of funny sometimes if you walk by some people, you can kind of tell they got offended that you didn't take their picture. Oh, really? <laughs> because they feel like they're really important and they might want their picture taken. <laughs> So, I mean, it's interesting. Sometimes you never know, like, and, and it varies from like an event to an event. Um, but I
0: think it's kind of funny whenever people are like, uh, they'll come up and be like, oh, take, take our photo. And I'm going, you're probably never going to see this. Yeah. Like, Yeah. This is just funny to me. Yeah. But okay. Yeah, let's go. I'll snap a few. <laughs>
1: or when people get drunk at the end of the event. Everybody wants a photo, and then at that point, I know that you just need to go put the camera away, yeah, 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 because they're gonna want to take a million pictures. Yeah, and no, I, no, that one doesn't look good. Yeah. No, 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 no yeah, I yeah. Don't like that. No, 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 can I see it? Can I see it? i you delete send
0: that, that to me. I'll delete that one. Look at that in my eyes. Oh no,
1: where are these pictures <laughs> gonna be?
0: <laughs> I don't on, on my hard drive for sure, yeah. and maybe in a meme somewhere yeah have you ever done that made a meme out of any photos you've taken or that you thought were hilarious or...
1: I'm surprised that none of my pictures have ever become memes i'm i I'm thankful that nobody has ever stolen anything really um it's kind of nice because it's it would it would suck if you took a picture of somebody and it became a meme and then you had to you know tell them like look, it's not it's not me. I wasn't slandering you. It's the internet. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't come up with it. I took the picture and somebody found it. And then, yeah, that would suck.
0: It's a derivative of my work. It is not actually my work. <laughs> yeah. What, a. Uh, so then from that stuff, you, you've, you've talking about how that you've just been able to meet other people. And it's kind of, as you've done this over the years, it's kind of snowballed into lots of different kinds of work and different avenues. And, and and whatnot Uh, and you mentioned that you've shot some celebrities and I've looked at your portfolio a few times and you have quite a few notable people in there what's kind of the story behind that and what was your experience working with them
1: they all know that it's part of their um, occupation to show up and have their picture made for like a press junket so uh, it varies from like person to person um, they, they're they used to being directed because uh, they get directed through film and television and interviews like they're doing at the Press Junkets. So whenever they sit down, they're usually willing to do whatever you tell them uh, in the sense that, like, turn your head, chin up, um, turn this way, you know, um, give me a three-quarter or whatever. But um, getting them to do anything um, – like with a prop or something they're they're hesitant to touch it and sometimes maybe not but but today in our digital realm of like media i think everybody's becoming more cautious of um what they put out there and who who it's for so it it also depends on like is there a creator creative director involved is there an editor how big is the magazine and things like that The fact that I was doing this for like a no-name magazine, a regional magazine, I was basically stuck to like a seamless backdrop that I would bring and um, just lighting them in a way that was interesting. Um, And I was always in a hotel room. So the hotel rooms like the Crescent, for instance, um, there's a lot of gold and amber colors and just gaudy looking wallpaper. And photographers from the Dallas morning news had the same opportunity, but they just show up with a camera on the flash and they would take a picture that's like completely different. But I was like an overachiever and, you know, would show up with like a ton of gear and lights and, um, get my three minutes with such and such that was doing a press jacket. And, uh, hopefully try to walk away with a picture that was interesting or, you know, that was, it captured something that, uh, had a likeness about the, the individual. Um, there was a funny story. Uh, one time, whenever I was photographing Bill Murray back at the, uh, Alamo draft house, the original one, he showed up for this red carpet event and their publicist had agreed to let us do his picture. And Bill Murray showed up with a uh, sports coat, cargo shorts, white socks and hiking boots because he knew that he was only being shot from the waist up, which was hilarious. (laughs) And so uh, the publicist was like, okay, you can like, Take some pictures of them over here because I had like some lights and things set up. They're like, but just promise me you won't shoot them like from head to toe. I was like, okay, cool. And I was like super young and naive back then. And so I, of course, followed the rules because I was like, you know, I don't want to make anyone mad. Uh, but <coughs> I wish I would have snapped because I had a zoom lens on. I wish I would have just, you know, put that baby at 24 and taken that <laughs> you just, you picture at, at least one or two. Yeah. Because he looks so goofy, and that's really it's, who he that's is. That's Bill Murray. Yeah. That's him. That would have been that would have been uh, oh, fascinating man. to see that.
0: Photo or didn't happen, man. That's
1: yes, what right. I always say. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so these are just like like the, the thing you mentioned to the Crescent or whatever. Like the press, what would you call them press? Press junket. That's press what they're junket. called. Yeah. Was that stuff you were there on assignment? From it was, some publications or something? Or? There was an
1: editor there doing an interview for the magazine. Um, and so these celebrities travel all across the United States. Um, they usually stop at, it's usually like LA, uh somewhere in Texas. Sometimes it's in other little small southern states, and then New York. And they're bouncing around from like hotel to hotel. They've got these giant posters of like whatever movie they're post their um they're
0: like promoting, promoting or whatever, promoting, pro-ing, yeah. pro-ing.
1: And it's usually like a couple months before the movie's about to come out. And there's editors and people from all different publications that have time slots throughout the day. And so the celebrity is literally stuck at the hotel for, for like a number of hours answering everyone's questions about the movie or project or film that they're doing. And so that's one reason why you don't have a lot of time with them either and there's not a lot of people that get access to even do the uh photography for these sort of things either but I noticed after I started doing them more frequently that I would run into the same publicist which is kind of like the same handlers and after they know that you're okay and that you're not going to do anything dumb and you're going to you know get stay within their time frame They usually work with you a little bit more, and sometimes you can get like shave off another, you know, 30 seconds with them eventually. (laughs) Uh, Eventually, uh, one time, uh, whenever I got to shoot Mark Wahlberg and Ludacris, that was shot at Las Colinas, actually. um, There was really no great options. And at that point, I was really trying to bust out of, you know, a seamless backdrop. And I ended up talking them into letting us go out on the balcony. And I shot the portrait there because we were doing a cover with them, um, and they let me do it. But that was after I'd been uh, shooting a couple of these celebrities in Texas and Dallas for a while. They kind of
0: started to the, yeah. They,
1: have they that recognized reputation. your yeah, face. Like, oh, too. hey, what's up? Yeah, and I was like in my early twenties, so I think they I was an easy person to remember. I think because these things you see the same people so they become familiar faces
0: right especially if you're doing something that's a little bit different and you're schlepping gear around and everybody else is showing up with a camera around their neck or something yeah,
1: like that like oh god here he is again yeah
0: this guy yeah he didn't learn that this is not what this is about does he, he just doesn't get it yeah. <laughs> what a so then from there i'm trying to remember where all you said this went You said you went, you started doing that stuff. And then from there that started branching into what kind of work?
1: More magazine work. So um, I've gotten hired by Entertainment Weekly to shoot Ed Sheeran whenever he was here. Um, I'm still interested in photographing anybody that's uh, a significant public figure. But I mean, I'm not really willing to move to L.A. or New York just because I'm not too big of a fan of those two places. But if you want to take pictures of celebrities, you kind of just got to go out there and grind and, you know, do it. But I've had my taste of shooting um, notable celebrities and and whatnot. And at first it was fun and exciting because it's kind of cool to see somebody that, you know, you grew up watching on television. Uh, but also, there's not necessarily a, a significant amount of value or money involved from these types of assignments either. So there, I mean, I for now I shoot for D Magazine and other publications, and it's just as much fun photographing um, anybody and everybody that's got a story to be told um, as it is a, a famous celebrity. So, I mean, I I love the work. And it definitely helps, uh, in terms of like the perception value of, of a photographer's portfolio from the general public, anybody that sees a portfolio with a bunch of famous people on it, they just automatically assume that you're like a big time famous photographer or something, which Mm -hmm. is not necessarily always the case. There's tons of photographers all across the nation that have this access to shoot celebrities or musicians or, or whatnot. So, I mean, I'm focusing more these days on uh, advertising work and, and more national editorial work. Um, I really enjoy editorial work because there's not a huge crew around, and I can get in there and do my thing and, and and leave. And it's like an hour or two's worth of work versus the long, sometimes exhausting days of working uh, on a big ad job where you're there for eight hours and... You know, there's all this prep involved and things like that. Yeah, I, And I mean, that's what I'm saying. I like doing a little bit of all different types of work because it keeps it from being so stale. Um, and because I'm hungry, you know, I try to make yeah, as much yeah, money yeah, as you yeah. can. <laughs> it's
0: like you don't want to eat the same meal all that's, the time. That's I might right. like to eat the same meals a lot, but <laughs> I need a few different flavors here and there right. every
1: once in a while.
0: Uh. So what 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 happened that pushed you to kind of finally realize that, oh like, I don't care if it's a celebrity or not that I'm shooting, right? And, and then just kind of going like ah, to just other people.
1: I know it's kind of funny because like right out of college, I kind of got I guess you could say lucky in the sense that it was like dang that was like almost too easy like I never would have thought that I would have been photographing celebrities here in Dallas. Um, And I think Instagram and the internet and Facebook has changed the uh, landscape of how much press junkets that are coming through Texas these days. Uh, I mean, they still flock down to South by Southwest in Austin. I've shot people there too. But um, yeah, I mean, but the but the question was um, how did I figure out how like wh- what was the point
0: the, the point where you're the, like is there like a switch to, goes off and you're like oh it doesn't this is why do I care about this or did you even feel that way I don't know cause- yeah
1: I mean I I just originally was thinking like I, I want to take portraits of people and so I didn't really care in the first place whether or not they were famous people or not but um, still it's it's just fascinating to look at a face and uh an expression of no matter who it is and so that's what i like to work with it's like a canvas Um,
0: you said you've been doing more editorial stuff and i've seen a couple of different stories that you shot in the past six months or a year probably something like mm -hmm. that what can you just talk a little bit more about kind of work that you're doing editorial stuff and maybe some of the stories that you've been covering
1: yeah so Right now I've been doing a lot of work for DCEO. So I'm photographing a lot of successful businessmen and women. And ironically enough, they're similar to like a celebrity because they don't have a lot of time and they don't have a lot of interest in you or your process or whatever. And so you got to go in there and be pretty dialed and, uh, get your picture and be in and out of there within, you know, five to 10 minutes. I usually ask for 30 minutes. And I feel like if I ask for an hour worth of somebody's time, that's probably pushing it. And so anytime you go into an assignment, you kind of go in with your uh, first gut instinct of what you feel is going to uh, work the best. And so, I mean, one of the recent ones I shot um, at the end of this last year was like a rich oil guy. And he was a hoot. He was a character. Um, and then I shoot a lot of men in their 50s and stuff. And and it the personality varies so much from yeah. one person to the next.
0: Uh, Do you feel ever any like sort of connection with the stories that you're shooting for? Or is there any sort of a... I mean, do you vet projects or or assignments that you take on as far as like this is something I'm really interested in or I believe in right does that does that have any bearing at all and it's
1: not that romantic honestly like there's um when a project comes across my desk, it's usually usually like uh a very brief description there's a lot of times the story's not even written sometimes, and so it's not that interesting uh it could end up being more interesting once it once it becomes published. But I mean, whenever I get an assignment, it's like, Hey, I've got, we got this, um, CEO of such and such. Um, are you interested in available? And I'm like, yes, I'm available if I am or, or whatnot. And so I usually always say yes to everything if I am available. And then, you know, I figure it out later on and, Sometimes I don't even know what part of Dallas it's in, or how far I'm going to have to drive. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, "Gosh, I wish I would have passed on this one." <laughs> this one's basically in Oklahoma.
0: <laughs> Are there standard rates for that? For like for yeah. projects, or is it is most magazines? Like- yeah,
1: all magazines have uh, an already delegated rate, and so it's like a yes or no answer uh, from the photographer on if you're willing to go do it or not.
0: Um, is there any difference for, for like distance? Like you mentioned, you're driving up to almost damn near Oklahoma for a project. Is that going to be any difference in pay versus if it's five minutes across town?
1: <laughs> so like, or the, is it just, this is it, what it is. Some, some people, uh, or some publications are willing to pay, um, mileage. And I'm always surprised whenever they say in the email, by the way, um, include your mileage. Cause I mean, that's super awesome. Cause I have a Jeep. <laughs> Uh It's a gas guzzler, Uh (laughs) and uh, yeah, like the Wall Street Journal, they pay like two to four hundred bucks an assignment, but they also pay the mileage. That's kind of funny though the the mileage. I don't know what's. I think. Yeah, I don't know what's up with the United States government. Every year it goes down like a penny or two, and I'm like, can't you guys (laughs) make up your mind? Yeah, if you look at like 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, they keep flopping back and forth in how much. Like like, up down up down. It's like 53 cents, 57 cents, 55 cents, 56 cents. I'm like, what's going on with the mileage? Are they? I wonder what that's based off
0: of. Is it? It must be some sort of a, an average, out, fuel cost, and maybe some sort of, vehicle maintenance cost combined, and like those costs averaged out over however many people they estimate are driving
1: or something. They probably base it off of, uh, like the, the, cost of oil by barrel or something. Yeah. Who knows?
0: That was interesting because people, and then I guess with that too, if you get paid for mileage, you can also still deduct for mileage. Yeah. And so, that can actually work out very nicely sometimes for you. Uh, is there ever any, uh, like, any leeway with stuff like, as far as pricing on assignments or, or setting your own terms or pricings, or is it pretty much always Either, hey, here it is, you want it or not.
1: Yeah. Whenever a publication has a cover opportunity for you or a multiple page story, it pays a little bit more because um, they're essentially paying for a one time use for whatever you're shooting. And that's all they own the image for is a one time use. And so, a lot of people, if you're a freelancer out there, you know, and you might get discouraged whenever you find out that a magazine doesn't pay this or that. But one thing to consider is that, you know, this isn't a billboard uh, or um, like a print marketing campaign that's being mailed out to forty thousand people um, for six months to a year. It's or they're going to own the image. It's a one-time use. Um, so they, they, it's going to be in that one issue, that one time. And a lot of times they also get granted access to like an online copy as well, which is good because uh, I've also gotten hired from people from that read D Magazine that are other business people. Yeah, they they see a picture of somebody and they think it's really good and they end up emailing me and they're like, hey, I saw this thing you did. we're looking for something like that of our CEO or of our business person or something.
0: So whenever you're shooting assignments or projects, I guess I'll just call them, I guess assignments would be stuff that you're doing editorial stuff for publications, right? right? Whereas yeah. projects would be, if somebody hits you up and says, Hey, I want you to shoot for my,
1: like agency or something. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with this? I'm going to get this back. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> do, 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 just start over with the, the question? Going. I don't know. Well,
0: just I lost my train of thought. Whatever. It's fine. Do we, you, could,
1: we could move on over to like from editorial to the advertising stuff, I guess.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, I have a question. I, yeah. There's one thing I remember I was going to ask you. So with the assignments that you're shooting. Mm-hmm you said that they're basically paying for the usage.
1: They're paying for a one-time use. For a one-time
0: use. For yeah, one-time, one-time use. Use, Are you yeah. contracted as work for hire? No. Quote, Or is it, are they licensing the image from you? Do you so still there's retain not a, there, ownership?
1: With some publications, um, with with most of them, there's a contract. Um, like I just did something for Ink Magazine. And it'll say, like, Photographer such and such agrees to show up on such and such date for this amount of money. And, you know, there's a lot of these uh, legal terms in there and they're pretty easy to understand and just ask for a signature and a date. And then they have like an authorization form usually uh, for like your banking and whatnot. And then they ask you to sometimes fill out their version of an invoice or they ask you to send them yours. And a W-9 and then you usually wait 30 to 60 days. Hopefully they pay on time and then you get paid. Boom.
0: Uh, can you turn around and take any of the images that you shot for that, for the, those assignments and sell them elsewhere? So like, say for, yeah. say for example, you go and shoot a bunch of portraits of some celebrity. This publication says, cool, we want to use this one photo for our cover. That's the image that we're using can you take that image and, or the other images and go throw them up on Getty stock and sell them?
1: You could, you could, but I wouldn't recommend that. So there's, there's syndication reps and syndication websites where you can um, get picked up essentially by what's almost an agent agent. And they um, sort of farm out your stuff. If people go looking for it, if you were to put an image of a celebrity up on uh, like a stock website, you're gonna give it away and they're probably someone's gonna it's gonna get end up getting uh resold for a lot of money. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay. Try throw it there. Um yeah.
0: So, so when you say they're gonna they're gonna give it away and sell resell it for a lot of
1: money. <clears throat> they're not gonna resell it for a lot of money per se, but there's little um money on your end of what the the cut's going to be with stock oh, photography. That's gotcha. generally the case. I've st- sold stuff to stock. Never, I've never put up fa- images of famous people. For one reason, like, I I don't want the work going out there, circling around and, like, you know, getting a royalty check for, like, four bucks. Useless. Mm-hmm. And another thing is, is, like, once you sell it to, to stock, if it does get, picked up or used or whatever your name is no longer attached to it they they have it uh it it then says credit getty so i mean that would suck to like send my celebrity work out in the world or portraits of people that i've taken that are significant figures and basically just like let people put their hands all over it what if it was i think it would also devalue the work because eventually at some point i mean Photography's hard to predict the future and whatnot. I mean I'm always of course working towards the goal of trying to work with more publications mm-hmm. and whatnot. But you, you may want to do a book someday. And so if you just, you know, littered the internet and all these um, publications that don't have access to these people and they can purchase these images, you know, then your work's gonna be maybe um,
0: a little bit more compromised or not quite as Yeah. What about what if, what if, say that you were, I don't know if this is even a realistic assignment you would have, but say you were covering some sort of, uh, I don't know, a community garden. And so you get a bunch of different photos of this community garden, and some of them could potentially make good stock photos of like somebody handpicking berries, and it's just like a close-up shot of some, like, is there room within your agreements on these assignments for you to take that image and go sell it? If it's is that something that's not like recognizable as a You could as like a face. Is that even
1: You could, but to be fair, I mean, if it shows the person's face or likeness, you're gonna have to have them sign right. a model release. Mm. And so I had a friend reach out to me recently and asked if I've ever done stock and what I think about it and whatnot. And it's a big obligation between the the person that you're shooting, um, the subject because they've you've got to have a a release form on them and I mean it's not fair to the person if they don't get any compensation and you're basically generating revenue or, or money off of the work so like if you there's this stock agency out there and you can go out and shoot like a bunch of your friends camping and create this like realistic looking lifestyle test shoot And then turn around and put it up on stock and then, you know, REI might come across it and they might be like, wow, this stuff is like so killer and jackpot. We'll use it. That's not totally realistic. But, you know, some brand that's not quite REI would maybe do that because, I mean, I hear from designers all the time that people do surf through stock photography because, you know, they don't have budgets for photo shoots or whatever. And so... But back to like, you know, if you got all your friends involved and, you know, had their time and you went out and did this test shoot and then you turned around and sold it, you could make up to like 1200 bucks if they buy that library off of you. But that's not really fair to the the talent. They got utilized. And then if, you, you know, it could be the case that they end up seeing themselves out in the wild one day and they go, yo, man. <laughs> Remember that shoe we did? <laughs> yeah. It's everywhere. Where's my portion of this? The, but they probably... But dude,
0: you're getting so much exposure.
1: Yeah, you can just tell your friends that, I guess. I mean, As long as people are aware of what you maybe are signing them up for, it's probably okay. I mean, there's a lot of people that are willing to go out and do photo shoots because they like the environment of having the picture taken and yeah. they like contributing to yeah, it. Some people might I not mean, care. It might not care. So, I mean... As long as you're up front with people about uh, expectations and um, the reality of it and whatnot, it's probably okay. I mean, there are photographers out there somewhere that are um, shooting stock, I'm sure, that are making some pretty decent cash. Yeah. I mean, if, you're, if you have a good eye and if you can envision a library in a way that it's useful to a brand and make it sort of generic without like a ton of logos on it. But it's great lifestyle imagery. There's definitely a world for that, I'm sure. I guess, kind of, so what I'm kind of
0: wondering getting to, getting wanting to get to is in your world in editorial work on assignments. Like, if I s- is there room within any of those assignments to go, hey, I can also, I'm, I'm here on this thing. I could also shoot a couple hundred images of like, the wall here of textures or like, of like whatever stuff of maybe I grab a bunch of photos that aren't necessarily for the assignment and I'm still going to turn in the assignment and they're going to get all of their stuff.
1: It gets sticky. It gets, it can be, I guess you could say it becomes a sticky situation because depending on how, um, the operation is there, the business, the company or wherever, like the flower shop, I mean, they may have a special, you know, recipe in terms of, like, how they operate around there. And they may not want to be exploited in that way. And it's not, like, when you're on assignment, there's usually an agreement ahead of time. You know, they know what you're there, what you're trying to achieve to a small degree. And so it would be kind of sneaky if you were, I think. On some level, yeah. yeah, it would. would. (laughs)
0: Like, I was more, I guess, I... (laughs) It's interesting. But like, you, you
1: can. I but mean, like legally speaking. But legally speaking. Like, like you're not
0: contractually obligated like to give them necessarily all of your images that you shot to yeah, the publication. One, or they the, don't one, like own the copyrights one, to them. Yeah.
1: One one big misunderstanding that I run into this all the time is so, I mean, I'm always super friendly with everybody I meet and photograph. But people f- assume that just because they were in the magazine that they get Copies, and they or they get to decide what gets published, or um, they're going to get all the images uh, just handed over to them, which is not the case. I'm sorry. I mean, I do this for a living. I can't give my stuff away for free. Um, so, what I,
0: if they wanted to buy them from
1: you? They can buy them from me, and okay. they commonly do. And so, um, y'all, I always am willing to negotiate a rate that's fair based on how many images they want and what they're going to use them for. And I always ask, like, what are you going to use these images for? Because there could be that situation, you know, where I did go above and beyond in the assignment and I did take pictures of, you know, details for my portfolio because I'm always looking to capitalize on on the situation of uh, the environment that I'm in. If I can take multiple portraits of somebody in multiple settings and I can wing that in, a, in the timeframe, I'll do it. And if I can uh, spin it in a way that's more interesting than I had originally thought or the creative director thought, I'll do that as well. And I always try to, these days, since I'm you know, putting the effort into like taking all this stuff to go create pictures, I always try to capitalize on the opportunity and um, get more bang out of it um, to try to beef the portfolio up because it's always this little building block of every project, every assignment that you do. And I just always try to make it as good as I can so that it can be useful for marketing purposes for myself because I'm always having to promote myself, mm-hmm. which is exhausting.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, you ever take a, um, assistance with you? Do you do everything on your own?
1: I do t- take assistance with me on editorial shoots when the budget allows it. But, I mean, I can usually handle most assignments by myself um there's times where you may be setting up a seamless a big nine foot seamless backdrop and multiple lights and whatnot but um you also have the luxury of getting there 15 minutes early i mean some people
0: so that way even if you don't have yeah. but three minutes with them you've got 20 minutes to set up
1: or something yes exactly to tear down exactly after okay and the the problem with hiring assistants on editorial shoots is honestly just that the shoots last 30 to 45 minutes to an hour. Oh,
0: yeah. It's just not very long.
1: It's not very long. And so, you know, I tried to negotiate a rate that's fair to the assistant, um, so that they can do it. But also there's just not that many people that are interested in assisting in town to my knowledge. Like there's a lot of people that are always like, dude, I would love to come hang out and like see your shoots. Like, you know, it's super cool. But like, I can't really have you hanging out there if you don't know what you're doing. Like you need to be able to set up equipment, set up lights, set up a stand. I mean, the very basis of things, like if you're going to be there, I need you to participate yeah. and be
0: helpful. But I used to, I used to not understand whenever that's probably 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 12 years ago, something like that. I remember there being photographers that I would reach out to and like, yeah, if you ever need help or, you know, I'd love to kind of, and I was real new. Like I, it was probably four or five years before I started freelancing even. And I just never understood. And I'm like, dude, I just want to come learn and come help. But being on the flip side of things, I'm like, I'm not about to let somebody that I don't really know that is just coming to try to quote, learn and see on my set with a client because yeah. they are representing my client, me true to my too. client.
1: They could do more harm than good. Yeah. Like if you, it depends on the client. Yeah, it, it really does. Like I had a shoot the other day. Um, and one of my BMX buddies has been wanting to come out to a shoot. And this was like the perfect one where I knew it would work. And, um, I also needed a little bit of help to set up a backdrop and whatever because I didn't have a lot of time for the studio that day. It was only rented for like two hours. So I needed to be you know, on time for everything and have everything set up. And so I'm willing to let you come out and hang out and, and learn because I know what it's like to to wanna just be there because you're so thirsty and hungry mm-hmm. to see Like how this person achieves the results that they do, and I'm so I get that, and uh, and and a lot of people commonly also say, you know, hire an intern, but I feel bad for not compensating people. Um, You know, like here, come come carry my gear. (laughs) I would I would (laughs) I get
0: that. I would I would argue though nowadays that you are giving them something. Cause it, they're getting that experience and that's really.
1: Yeah. I just have a It hard, is
0: tough though. I do. I, I, I understand. I just
1: always feel guilty if I'm not paying people. Are I going to have enough work to give them? I don't. Yeah.
0: I'm going to be sitting around all the time.
1: A couple people that I've had assist me. I mean, before we even go do the shoot, I've had them come over the day before and I've literally had them set up everything. Like not the way, like the, the ratio of the lights and whatnot, but I'm like, Do you know how to set up an Octobank? Let's make sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. This is is a
0: baby pin. This is a, you know, whatever it is. These are the different pieces.
1: It's all simple. It can be super intimidating. And a lot of times, whenever I find whenever assistants do touch your things, they're afraid of breaking it, which is nice. But also, like, we have, like, four minutes to, like, set this up. So, like, I don't mind helping Assistants, because I I help set up for every single shoot that I do, mm-hmm. and I'm sure like the older that I get, um, by the time I'm like 60, if I'm still taking pictures, then I'm, I'm sure I'll, you know, probably want an assistant to be doing everything for me. But I mean, for now, it doesn't kill me; it doesn't bother me to carry heavy stands or whatever. Um, I'm not too good to do it or whatever. Right. But
0: so, what about your commercial work? You mentioned you do some commercial stuff too.
1: Yeah, so um I've been hitting up more agencies, um, close and far. Um, it seems like a a total crapshoot on like the secret of getting into like a an agency and whatnot. Uh just last week a Seattle agency reached out and hired me to shoot a bunch of doctors for a digital marketing campaign, and that was fresh off of Google. Wow. Um, which never happens. <laughs> how did they even find, what did they
0: search for? What was, I asked, I want to hear this. I asked. St- so I was like, here. how
1: did you find me? Cause I'm always curious. And I do ask whenever somebody out of town tracks me down and they do search through Google and uh, they're like Dallas uh, editorial photographer or Dallas portrait photographer. And I've had, I have those words, key tagged on my metadata for my site um but there's a specific order with seo that's more appropriate than others and um top little secret here is (laughs) i feel like a lot of photographers know this because a lot or a lot of people in, in digital media know this but you uh you know you can go out and you can look at other people's sites as well. And you can see, and some, you can see that some people are really good at this and some people are really bad, but it does matter the order in which you dictate words. And you, you and, and with CEO, it's kind of like uh, Twitter. You only have so many characters and letters and things that you can throw in there to find, to make yourself more visible. And so I focus predominantly on uh, Dallas editorial portrait I believe. And so if you're like a wedding photographer, you probably just need to, you know, be lightened up wedding photographer, uh, Dallas wedding photographer, Texas wedding photographer. But it totally matters whether or not you put Dallas in there or Texas or Plano or Fort Worth. So, I mean, if you actually live in Austin and you want to be a Dallas or Austin Editorial photographer. That's what they search for. It's like in Google. It's that keyword is probably editorial, not portrait. Um, Interesting. So they
0: found you and did just, I guess they just or they just like scrolling through stuff. They said they used something
1: like Dallas um, advertising photographer. And I think in my SEO, it says something like Dallas. Jonathan is a Dallas editorial photographer that specializes in commercial portrait and advertising. Advertising photography. So I like, you it's know, like right at the very yeah, end. Like, yeah. And I, every now and then, I, I, I do Google myself to see what's up with the Google rankings. And there's always some photographer out there that has figured out SEO better than you have. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it also depends. Like there's a there's science behind all this SEO. You probably know more than me, but there's also, uh, you know, how long your site has been on. Google's registry matters. So if you're a freelancer starting out right now and you have perfect SEO keywording and you're behind the line of all these other guys that have had a website, to my understanding, you're not going to be as visible. You're going to be uh, further down in that Seniority,
0: bitches. Seniority. What's up? <laughs> Get to the back of the line, kids. I mean, but no. that's true though, isn't it? I think yeah, I've I, talked to I, people. I don't know, actually. I, SEO is not a... Uh, I've not really focused on that, honestly. And, yeah. and maybe I should. It sounds like maybe I should. Also,
1: the more I think with SEO, too, from my understanding, which I'm no expert on this stuff, but also the more links you have back to your website.
0: That I do know. Yeah. Yes. Link so back. that
1: helps. That's a number one key. It's like giving you more clout, more wealth. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, SEO is useless if your website doesn't have anything that is interesting to the people that are looking to hire you. And if it doesn't match the SEO, then that's just a disaster as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there's all these little steps that you have to figure out as a freelancer that are definitely uh tricky and takes some time. <laughs> it doesn't just like happen overnight. So this uh project that you got in Seattle
0: where they Looking for somebody to shoot here?
1: Yeah. Okay. So they they did not um, have the budget per se to have a photographer from Seattle that they know come out. And another reason why is because there was uh, a seminar going on at, at, in Dallas where all these doctors were there um, for this workshop or something. Uh I didn't get a lot of information of why they were there. It was like a conference basically. And uh, whenever I did meet the doctors eventually one by one, surprisingly, a lot of them were from LA, California. And uh, just, it was a wide variety of different um, types of individuals, all different ages, uh, guys and girls. Surprisingly, a lot of female doctors and We uh, shot portraits of them on a seamless background and the project was basically, we were just going to cut them out of the background and then they would be retouched. And that's what I delivered was PSD files with them cut out and also on the original background, but they were lit in a specific way so that they could put them on buses and um, use them in various different forms. And I shot with like the, the Sony camera with like the huge, the... 60 megapixel resolution Gosh, so those
0: files would be huge
1: Yeah, and so they could crop in and like get a headshot if they wanted or mm-hmm. they could like leave it uncropped and use whatever they wanted for uh, the mid length version as well
0: so it's a lot of you, it's pretty cool man I've never had I've always like I mean you see those buses that roll by with the huge photos on them like the billboards or stuff but I've never had anybody hit me up for them And it's interesting that they have you clipping them out and sending them over versus doing that themselves.
1: Yeah. So they, they they had, I shot, and I only think that the reason you're, you're onto something there. So most clients generally are willing to uh, cut the cost of the retouching if they're on a budget or whatever, which that's essentially a form of retouching, clipping them out. Yeah. We shot 80 doctors, okay. 80 to 95 doctors. Okay. So the workload was so big that they knew that they couldn't do it themselves. So they're like, is this a service that you can provide? And I was like, of course. For a nominal so, fee, Yeah, yes, yeah for I a can. fee, of course. And so I hired a, a retoucher to get those knocked out for me. And, and they knocked them out of the background for me, but I still sat down and did the retouching just because – there was only like two or three days of a turnaround time, and that would have been a lot of pressure to get a retoucher to do it right. And so I knew that if if I if the retoucher did not retouch the images right, and there was like some still flaw some flaws in there or whatever, I'd have to fix them anyway. So it's just like whatever. This is just going to be a long day at the computer, you know, retouching. I'm not looking forward to it, but you know, it it happens as well. But at least you weren't having to clip them out. I didn't have to clip them out, no. That would be a... Yeah.
0: I would be the person that just goes through and does it and doesn't even think, hey, Casey, you could hire somebody to do this that would do this for... Clipping
1: them out is way worse than retouching. (laughs) It's (laughs) It has to be very precise and perfect, and it does take longer than most Oh, man, hair is
0: hard, too. Hair is hard, yeah. Even with the new stuff that Photoshop will do, it's still really gnarly. Uh... So is most of the commercial work you do it's is it like business to business or are you working through agencies
1: yeah so um some of the some of the agencies that I've worked for are here in town, and they are always uh people oriented um, I consider myself a a people shooter and so It usually is a project that involves people to some sense, whether or not it's like a lifestyle campaign or like some of the projects I've done was this last year, I did a project for Linux, the HVAC company, Um, and it was a lifestyle campaign. And uh, I believe I got that job because of some creative directors that worked at another agency before that. And they hit me up and they asked me for a big, a bid, and um, I submitted it and ended up getting it. But I mean, it was lifestyle photography, which is a little different than what I do. Uh, Cause it's like natural light, but that relationship with the creative directors um, and the trust from them convinced the hiring producer at the agency to give me a shot and let me have the job. And we did it, the client was super happy. It was a super complicated job. We had to have uh, three different houses that looked like they were um, from three different household incomes, uh, different races, um, and then doing different activities inside the home. And the whole marketing campaign was um, not super sexy. It was s- sort of simple and realistic. It was just you know the comfort of air and the lifestyle of living in a comfortable home. And that's all because of Linux, the, uh, you know, AC unit that's in the back of these people's yards.
0: <laughs> so there's almost literally no shots of the AC unit or anything. We did do shots. I'm sure you did some. We did
1: eventually do shots of the AC But it's AC not like unit. they're hanging
0: out next to the compressor outside having beers or something.
1: We did do some client interaction shots of like a technician does come out, you know, with warranties involved for like a company like this and, you know, you do these shots of them out there with like their meter reading um, devices on the AC unit. But I mean, yeah, so that sort of, that's an advertising project for instance, that, you know, isn't super sexy in terms of uh, it doesn't have a lot of wow factor, but I was really thankful to do the job and I worked, had a great crew and uh, it was still using a camera. I mean, I'm still trying to get across to clients, especially advertising agencies as a people shooter that I want to do uh, things that look like they're, that are on my site. I want to shoot people in a way that you're using them in advertisements that uh, the personality's coming off the page Mm -hmm. and things like that. Or you just, and I've done that to a small degree, but it's so hard to match so it seems this way uh, to me anyway, is to match the work with the client uh, to do work that you really want to do. Cause I do get some jobs from agencies. Another one I did was uh, like a gig with uh, the parking spot, uh, which is like a shuttle service for um, DFW's airport. Okay. And so I just shot lifestyle images of people checking in and out of the car um, you know, at this kiosk machine, and uh, the sort of um, skill level as a photographer, it, it's not too complicated. Um, but it does
0: feel kind of weird on set. I don't understand why that stuff. I feel like
1: yeah, it does. I mean, it because I'm. I feel like I'm so used to seeing
0: lifestyle photos, right? And I mean, I mean, we see these stuff, these things in ads all the time. Facebook, rolling, you know, scrolling through Facebook. Beads or on billboards or whatever, these different lifestyle shots. And, but then getting on set to shoot them, like I, I remember at least initially when I first started shooting lifestyle stuff, it's like, I haven't really thought through how some of this stuff is actually get shot or even just feeling nervous that my stuff wasn't going to look good in comparison to whatever, like other lifestyle stuff that I had seen
1: yeah like and that's and you're you're right. so a lot of producers at, at these agencies and whatnot that are that hold the keys to these brands feel like some photographers have a, a special skill set of capturing images uh that feel real. That's the whole reason why lifestyle photography exists is because when it comes across an advertisement, they want it to look. Like, it's a believable, candid moment. That's Mm. essentially what it is. And from my experience of shooting lifestyle images and whatnot, is it helps, A, if you have talent, um, that's real talent, uh, that's a model to some degree. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Because
1: they are essentially uh, paid actors that know how to, to feel and look in front of the camera. Um, If you've never been on a photo shoot set before or a video set before, it's going to be uh, frustrating and you're gonna feel vulnerable and you're gonna get nervous and you're supposed to be smiling and happy (laughs) and you're telling this fake narrative.
0: I just did this thing 10 times and you said one more time, 10 times. How (laughs) many one one more times? (laughs) One yeah. more time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish... I think
0: we almost got it.
1: I wish somebody would make a, f- a funny comedy movie about the industry of video and photography. You know, like the movie Waiting?
0: With, yes. I, yes.
1: It would be... the Now would be the best time to make a movie <laughs> like that because everybody wants to be a photographer or a filmmaker these days. And there... I could make fun of our own industry because I find myself all the time going this is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> because people take this stuff so seriously at times and I always say, you know, we're not curing cancer. Um like our jobs aren't that important, but there is a level of seriousness when you're on set or whatever. But there's so many different personalities that you come across in this business because, you know, the job is never the same from one uh, job yeah. to the next. But it would be hilarious if there was actually a movie or something like making or just a YouTube like series making
0: fun of. Make my head starting to spin a little bit. And making
1: make, fun of. Uh,
0: come, maybe i uh, be something fun to do. Do yeah. a little web series or something. Yeah. Looks show. Uh, what else? Uh, whenever you do commercial work, like non-editorial stuff, when it comes to pricing, uh, how do you handle that stuff? And you, know, you mentioned sending out bids to agencies or proposals to cl- yeah. you know potential clients. How do you handle that stuff?
1: So the first thing to do um, is to find out as much as you can about the project because from my experience, what I've noticed as a common thread is people like to hold out on information. I don't think they're doing it on purpose, but they'll give you a brief and it's like a short brief email. Like, Hey Jonathan, we have a project that you, we want you to do, you know, this, this, and this. But the things that they leave out typically are things like, okay, My question is, where is it going to live? For how long? What are you using it for? Also, who's the client? Because those are like a couple of things that are going to factor in the cost to some degree. You have to know those things because people always ask, like, what's the, you know, what's the rate? And then also sometimes I ask, depending on the project, do you have a budget? I just want to know, do you have a starting point? Um, Because maybe I can work within it. And it just cuts to the chase because when people ask me how much it's going to cost for the shoot, I just have to figure out, well, how big of a project is this from a production standpoint? And once I understand that, I can put a number on it. Um, And then it's a line itemization, which starts with a photographer's fee. Uh, the usage, and from there, I've got gear rentals, assistants, second assistants, uh, hair and makeup artist, a second hair and makeup artist if it's needed, a stylist, stylist assistant, and so on and so on. And then I've also got other fees in there, like insurance and um, digital processing fees, retouching fees. And I've seen it online before. I think it was like maybe a wonderful machine or 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 some producer that printed like this checklist and uh, it's good if you, and after a while you start to have this checklist down in your head of like a customer that, you know, just goes and buys picks up a bunch of things and they show up at your checkout counter and they're asking you how much it's going to cost. So that's what you essentially do is you figure out and you give them a number and you ask them if they have any questions to you know get in touch and then sometimes you can figure out if you are able to cut things off that list of how much things are going to cost
0: so for a cut in cost if somebody didn't have a budget for something that's as high as you propose it do you you ever like bend on price or or come down or quote discount or, or are you just pulling line items out to reduce it
1: so yeah, it depends. In a hypothetical situation, if you can, if you can, if you can finagle some things <laughs> and take things out of there um, that may- maybe aren't necessary, you also you know rely on them to negotiate as well. It's like, okay, well, the retouching obviously is going to cost a lot. Uh, are you willing to do it? <laughs> is your team of creative directors willing to take that on? Because if you are, we can cut the cost by. A significant amount by doing that, or why don't we use uh, instead of like talents? Also, really expensive. So it's like, do we need that many talent to say what we're trying to say with the message? um Maybe we can condense this by having two or three instead of like five or six um, individuals uh, that are the talent. Because you got to pay, you got to pay them mm-hmm. usage and pay them for their portion depending on how big the project is and whatnot. And then, do you need one makeup artist or do you need to? You know, how much time? How many shots are we taking? Because um, sometimes I feel like, um, whenever money's involved, uh, whenever you know, some people think that uh, they're getting a lot, or if they're paying a lot, they feel like they have to receive a lot of uh, images back in return. Um, and then some people that have that are more accustomed to doing this and whatnot, it, it, it's, it's not always quantity over uh, quality. Um, sometimes the project has like four or five final hero images for the campaign or whatever, and that's all the client gets. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you're, doing, you're running around with a camera shooting a lifestyle campaign, and, and they want like 30 shots a day. I mean, you just never know. It is a pretty wide range, it though. It's a pretty wide range because creativity and creatives uh, at agencies or whatnot, and also clients. Nowadays, I see the clients telling creatives what to do, <laughs> which is funny because that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the other way around. But right. In today's American <laughs> advertising realm of creativity, The client is paying the agency a lot of money to handle their creative. And they're usually over there with a a whip cracking it on these creatives to to get them to do and telling them how to do it. And yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's pretty funny. A little bit. I'm like, what y'all doing?
1: You know, that's another thing. Like Back to the whole college thing is like in the 50s and 60s and everything, the advertising world seemed really interesting. I mean, they made a whole... Television series, Mad Men, about it. Mm. I mean, it looked really exciting to be in advertising at one point. I think it still is, but I keep the more I keep working in the this industry and whatnot, I keep learning. Um, every time I meet a new client or whatever, that the client still has the ultimate say over everything, anything, and everything which you kind of get trickled into and tagged along to because if the client changed their mind, you know, on set, you kind of have to go with that. Yeah. Even though it sucks. You know,
0: there's sometimes there's some pushback, but yeah, ultimately I can't think of any situation I've ever been in where I would have felt like, Nope, this is the way we're doing it. I know this is your project, but this is the way we're doing it. It would be more like, okay, cool. Well, Let's remember this later or whatever, you know, if something comes up and is said about this, then I told you so. I yeah. mean, obviously I don't actually have that conversation, but that's kind of a little bit of uh, it, the conversation that I would have with myself in my head.
1: It There's this phrase called go fetch me a rock <laughs> where the client doesn't know what they want. <laughs> and sometimes, and you have to, whatever you do, you have to make sure that that never happens because... That's like a game that people play. Oh it's a manipulative goodness. game. No. Uh,
0: <laughs> let's try. Uh, let's try a different music track. This one feels. This one doesn't feel upbeat enough.
1: Yeah, and so I don't really. There's too much saturation.
0: Can we change it some or whatever? And right, you're like, this is right. the
1: most vague. Yeah, I can't. Thing you're I guessing see, at. I'm not into motion. Uh, very much at all, but it seems like you would definitely have to have that agreement up front that, like, look, you're getting three revisions. But if I was a I video do. guy, yep. I would probably only be like, look, you're getting two revisions.
0: <laughs> I do three, three, <laughs> and then I charge for extra over that. But I rarely get past two, yeah. These days, there's been a couple of projects, but that's kind of it's. That was definitely something at first that I didn't have in place. And after a few times of like over and over people, and nitpicking and stuff, I was like,
1: you wild. if you give them
0: boundaries, they'll figure out real fast, especially if you're like, that's Hey, right, right. this is what it is. Oh, and if we decide to go and if, you know, for whatever reason we need to go past it, that's cool. But I'm going to charge you 200 bucks an hour
1: Yeah, there's for a, editing and I'm just going to track time. Yeah. There's Never had anybody a, need to do it. Uh, one amazing. thing. I feel like I'm not giving too many good tips here as this is all about freelancing, but like one thing that freelancers need to really understand early on is that uh, people will, you know, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. (laughs) There is a cost for everything. So do not think that because people tried this on me and they try it on everybody and it still works on a lot of people is they try to make you feel like being involved with them and their project is a luxury. <laughs> and that if you're not doing what they ask you to, like you, if, if you set an agreement or a contract uh, with somebody about a project and they come out of here after, you know, after it's shot and start asking for more images uh, to be edited because I'd like to use those too cuz the shoot was so amazing and you're such a great photographer. <laughs> then you have to charge them for those additional selects. Yes. And you need to come up with a price for that. So yes. don't just give them that stuff and think or don't like think that you're you're not going to get hired again cuz you're cuz you didn't cuz you charged them. No, they I mean, do you really want that client again anyway? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yes, you probably need them anyway because but Maybe not. You, you may not, but I,
0: I kind of look at it as like a restaurant There's it's a way that I've heard it at an analogy that it kind of made a lot more sense and kind of helped it click to me. Uh, and it was something like, you know, people come up and, Hey, you know, can you do this for free or really cheap? Dude, I want to, you're going to get so much exposure from it. Like, okay, cool. Let's, yeah. So you own a restaurant, right? Okay, cool. Well can you come and like feed my family for me and just do it all for free? I promise we'll tell everybody about how good it was. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. But, you know, hey, the, dude, y'all are the, oh, that meal was so good. Can you show you me cooked how you you the it? best? Can you, actually, can you make me one to go to? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but you're going to pay for it.
1: Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why people pull this stuff with <laughs> I, creative types or I think,
0: people, I think part of it is because it's digital, it's an intangible.
1: That's Yeah.
0: You know, when it can fit on, you know, in the palm of your hand.
1: Yeah, that, that's, an, that's a super, that's another thing that is super frustrating to me. Uh, after you've been taking pictures for a while, uh, like several years, you realize that you essentially are like a library uh, of all your stuff. Mm-hmm. And I still have every single picture that I've pretty much ever taken from the beginning of my co- like college time to now, like it's all backed up and saved. 15 years worth of stuff, which I'm not saying it's like a bunch of super impressive stuff. But the point is, is like when I'm on set nowadays and people are, I've even heard people say it. They're like, yeah, that's the great thing about digital. You just take a million pictures. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to take more pictures than I have to because I know what the repercussions of yep. that is? I'm paying to back this up. You're not backing up my stuff. Like I may be delivering a hard drive to you as an agreement for the job or whatever, but still, like taking too many frames just to see it. I've heard people say this too. They're like, "Take a picture. I want to see what it looks like." Mm, it's just cute. And I'm like, uh, let's do a couple more. Like, just, what, for, just, just for safety. Look over there on the set. That's what it looks like. <laughs> If I take too many pictures, I'm just going to end up with a bunch of garbage I don't need that we're not going to use.
0: And then I also end up with having to cull through more photos. Cull through
1: more photos.
0: More decision paralysis because I'm looking at 15 images yeah, that you're are gonna all wanna slightly see different. If you're going to want
1: to see everything, <laughs> and then you're going to want me to send it to you.
0: Yeah, I definitely used to be a lot more trigger happy yeah. than I am these days when it comes yeah. to shooting photos. Because I see it, I'm like... Oh, God, it does not really matter that much, that frame to that frame, because I was uh, two inches to the left on whatever, yeah. you know, whatever it is. <laughs> do you, uh, with contracts, because um, obviously it's going to be a little bit different with the editorial stuff, because that stuff's pretty cut and dry, it sounds like. But with agencies and with commercial stuff, do you typically operate with contracts? And if so, how do you... Are you coming up with them? Are they providing it to you?
1: So I'm using this online software called BlinkBid. It's super um, familiar in the industry. A lot of people use it. I can't remember how I came. Oh, I came across it from a producer. Um, Because I would reach out to a producer if a job was like super big and complicated and we needed locations and whatnot. And he was always really good at like coming back with like, a detailed line itemized thing and it had the, all the legal jargon attached to it. And I was like, how do you do this? What did you come up with? Uh, Like, how did you, like, where are you getting all this information um, from? Like you copying pasting it from somewhere or whatever. And BlinkBid gives you that legal jargon um, and you can customize it for projects that you do. So um, you know, Common things that you want in a contract are um, cancellation fees if they don't cancel within 72 hours. Um, other things are laying out um, the usage and the agreement of the time, who, what, where, and why you're doing it. Um, and, and it says that in that um, lawyer jargon kind of way you know? yeah yeah and so all the um, things that i don't quite and, understand yeah and and it it's not super complicated to understand but wh- it's just literally a document to make sure that everybody's on the same page and that they understand the agreement and it's really it, it's because there's money involved and one of the things that i always make sure that i do is Uh, if, a if I'm doing a shoot for $50,000 or $70,000, I've got to get half of that money up front because I've got expenses usually involved and tied up in that project. And I've got to make sure that I get my crew taken care of and I pay, pay my crew and I pay the location or the catering, uh, for lunch that day for craft services or whatever. And so that's why you have to have that contract. Um, it has everything laid out and blink bid, look it up. It costs uh, around $200 a year or something. Um, but also it helps you um, drop in line itemized uh, options for every single project that you do. And whenever I'm creating an estimate, I'm keeping in mind the uh, how, how, how big the company is that I'm working for, how big the project is. And I'm um, estimating based on my knowledge and what I think uh, I'm worth and what I think my crew is worth and everyone's fees. And I put that together on a sheet of paper and a PDF and I send it off to them. And I usually make sure, you know, I spell check. You, I don't think you can do spell check, but, I mean, you know, I make sure I- Proofread proofread through and stuff, yeah. Definitely
0: should do that. There's been too many times where I don't, where I like will proofread an email and that I almost just hit send on and I'm like, oh man, I'm glad I caught those couple of things.
1: Luckily, one of my favorite aspects of this uh, BlinkBed uh, software is is that, you know, whenever you create, every fee that you create, it basically adds it up for you. So (laughs) you don't find too many- um, scenarios where you've made errors on that as as far as like math, the math. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean, numbers different. Yeah. Uh. The only way you can screw that up is, um, sometimes in that software, what you'll do is, uh, if you're working more than one day, so you usually multiply, you put the fee there and then you have it by how many days, um, so you have to add that part up yourself and then type it in or whatever but i mean for the most part it's a great software a lot of people use it from big to small projects i use it as my invoicing software and uh it tells you when somebody's late <laughs> uh it keeps track of um the 30 day period or whatever and um i don't um focus too much on that aspect of the software because you have to stay so busy as a freelancer to where checks are just always rolling through. And if you're always go, if you're always going to your accounting software and, you know, hitting people up as soon as the 30 day mark comes along, you're a going to irritate them and B you're going to irritate yourself. Just, you know, watching your money like a (laughs) crazy (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thankfully, I don't have to deal with it too much. It's always kind of... Every once in a while, I have payments that come through super late. Like, I had one last year that I shot in October, and I finally got paid for it, like, two weeks ago. And it's the middle of February right now. I have... <laughs> it happens every once in a while. And, and yeah, it always it. seems to work out, though.
1: I don't... Generally, people have um, the, t- the tendency to pay on time. Yeah. And... I don't ever, another tip for freelancers out there is that, um, I mean, I survived two magazines that went bankrupt in my early 20s. I mean, my car was borderline gonna be repossessed because I was two payment, three payments behind. I think if I would have gone one more, my car might've gotten repossessed. And I was living at home with my parents at the time. Uh, And so, I mean, it was very frustrating early on you know, somebody that's like super hungry and young and not very experienced or weathered in this freelance world is you get extremely frustrated when you've done an immaculate job for somebody and you can't seem to understand like why they can't compensate you on time. Yeah. So don't like, I've let, delivered everything don't let that bother you, um, but also stay on top of people for paying within the 30-day range. Um, but I generally find that most people even on a thirty day a net thirty, they still don't pay until sixty <laughs> or forty
0: five. That's crazy, man. I try uh, to do fifteen, but it kinda net fifteen. My
1: invoice has uh fifteen.
0: And I'll I will email after that if it's like a few days late, it's like, hey, so the due date on this was this kind of checking in, to yeah. see what's going on, how we can
1: and but these ranges of money that I'm talking about are generally from five to twelve hundred dollars or something. Yeah. So I mean while that might, might sound like a large lump sum of money in the grand scale of things, it's not compared to some other projects where mm-hmm. you definitely, if you're doing a 20,000 or 50,000 job, like I said, you definitely want to make sure you get that money up front, half of it, and then follow up with them to get you the rest of it. Uh, Cause it. it I mean, and
0: there's no set, like something I found, there's just no set like terms of the ways you have to do, um, and so like all that to say, if it works out for somebody like, like I've had projects before where it's like, okay, cool. Well, we're doing two videos. So you pay me half up front. I'm going to cut a video and then you pay me for that one. And we know it's going to be a month and a half before we do the next one. So then once the next one gets done, then you pay me for the rest of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so then it's like splitting it up in different ways. Or I've had clients where it's tough for them to be able to like, because we're just moving so fast. It might, it might take a week or two for them to be able to get a check, even cut and we're shooting in seven days from the time that we're talking to them. So it's just not realistic for them to get it to me. So then I go, okay, cool. Then we'll flip it around. I'll shoot everything. You pay me a hundred percent and then I'll deliver the back half of it after you've paid me. Mm -hmm. And usually like by the time the project kind of gets wrapped up, the check will be coming in. Um, it might be a little bit different though with, I know with sometimes with advertising agencies, it ends up being like 30 days or like you were saying with ad, um, editorial, it can be like 60.
1: Yeah. The, it, and it's just really because I think the sales team at most publications, whether that's a regional publication or a national publication, I think, you know, with uh the influx of the popularity of the internet, the sales team has a hard time selling the the ads yeah. to generate revenue. And I think most magazines in general that are probably still around are probably around because they have investors and people that are doing it just for the love of the sake of the publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, ha- I think that's really why most publications are still around. I don't think that they're around because the sales team is super badass at selling ads because <laughs> um, it's I can't imagine how tough it is to sell ads uh, some of them are probably really easy I mean large companies have to spend money and marketing budgets on uh, advertisements like companies like BMW and you know large companies that clearly make a lot of money yeah. off their profits Well,
0: it's definitely there it was a, a talk one of the guys up here um, from an agency kickstand uh Matt Bull was talking about he did a Texas talk up here at Wax Space last week, the week before. Oh, yeah. And he was talking I about to
1: come to that, but um I think it was working or something.
0: Yeah, I think by the time this podcast episode comes up out in like six months from now, it'll that Texas talk should be up on their website if it's not already at uh I think thewaxpace.com or the co. I'll put I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But uh basically one of the things that he talks about is he, he touched on print advertising mm-hmm. specifically in like magazine publications and how it's so much more I'm trying to remember exactly what he was saying, but basically it was so much more, it's more uh, expensive to do that. And so on some level, it just doesn't make sense, but that there's still a lot of, of brands and stuff that will do it just because if somebody sees an ad for that thing in that it, it adds a level of credibility or clout or flair of like, Oh, they have their stuff in a big time magazine Mm -hmm. or they have a full page spread. Like they must be doing well. And it's almost like subliminal kind of Mm -hmm. marketing.
1: Just interesting. Which I think there's a form of that going on in the photo industry as well. There's source books like workbook and, uh, ad edge and things like that where you have to buy, like you can get one page in the ad. I want you will get a one page ad in like workbook or ad edge. Mm-hmm. And it appears that almost every big advertising photographer, uh, in the States is advertising in these, um, print mailer, um, Catalog. just like
0: for those that aren't familiar it's basically a huge magazine or like a catalog it's a
1: catalog of the world's most elite photographers that do advertising work and i've fiddled with the idea of getting in there um but it's eight or nine thousand mm-hmm. dollars and i do believe that you have to spend money to make money but also Um, for me to get in for like at edge right now, for instance, which now they're taking submissions. If your portfolio gets approved or whatever, um, I could get in there, but I'd have to pay that eight or $9,000 right now. The problem is, is I'm about to have to pay my taxes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't budget this year for spending that amount. Um, it was just like a, Bubbled, came I, would, up.
0: I would imagine you'd probably need to do it for a few years too. You do need really to do it for a few years. It sounds like, you know, Mo. Yeah. I was talking with him recently and he was in, uh, a, uh he's trying to start getting into the fine art space and had a gallery showing out in Miami, I think. And he was talking about it was something like 10 grand or something like that. I think he mm-hmm. could do that. And he was saying the same thing. It's like, yeah, if you want to get into those circuits, when you're going around to like LA and New York and different places to get in these shows, he's like, you got to do that. And it's not a one-time thing. Like you gotta be in that show three or four or five times before people start. Oh, you know, I met him last year. I saw his work last year. I wonder what he's got this time around.
1: Yeah. It's like a sort of general way of thinking about It's like Coca-Cola. They advertised and marketed the crap out of their product, uh, in the early nineties and eighties and seventies. And you can't go anywhere these days without seeing a Pepsi. Everybody a doctor, knows what it does, Everybody and does. Everybody
0: knows. I think that was one of their goals was that everybody in the world would know that name.
1: Yeah. And that logo. Yeah. And it's iconic. And if, and I think that's the same thing that works like as a photographer uh, on a commercial level, like if you're, if you're advertising everywhere, I think it's going to help your um, odds of more creative directors of people being interested in your work. But also you really have to have like that talk in the mirror with the quality of your work and the work that you're putting out there. Is this good enough? Cause I mean, there's some really great photographers out there. Yeah, I mean,
0: they've been doing it for a long time.
1: Yeah. It's, there's people like everybody, I see like so many people that, Do like mock, uh, Nike shoots, for instance, and they put like the Nike hashtag on Mm -hmm. Instagram and whatnot. And like, obviously everybody wants to work for Nike, but the work has to have that current vibe that like when you walk into the Nike store, like ask yourself, like, does the work that I'm producing look like that work? Chances or ask are like,
0: your friends, or not your friends, <laughs> yeah, ask not somebody your friends. else.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I I've kind of gotten to the point where I almost feel like, because I used to kind of want to chase bigger clients or bigger projects like mm-hmm. that, and see the heavy hitter producers or artists, whatever, whoever it is in the top of their field that's that's really popular or well known. I think on some level, when we freelancers start out, there's there's probably some level of wanting to get to that level or work with those clients.
1: Everybody wants to do it.
0: And first kind of what we were talking about earlier, like it doesn't really matter if it's a big shooter or like, whether it's I'm getting to play with the camera.
1: That's right. I'm getting to do
0: stuff, but also I've wondered if it would be more advantageous instead of trying to get that big, like land that big client right now.
1: Yeah. Go after the like, little, go after the,
0: like the ones that's like where I am The
1: underdog. Yeah, exactly. And go
0: like, cool. I'm growing, you're growing, let's grow together. And maybe we can both be this thing someday together.
1: That's what you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I even start thinking about that. Um, I'm 35 now when I was in my early twenties, like, you know, the, wor- the world is your oyster. Yeah. You think that you can conquer the world because you get some great momentum going and, you know, you start making some money uh, doing what you love. And you think that you can just skip from point A to point B, but it's not like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, uh, no like s- self, the older you get too, self-doubt starts to creep in. And like... This career choice is definitely one of the most fulfilling and the most self-sabotaging uh, <laughs> career choices that I think could have ever done. Like when I get emails from kids fresh out of college that um, ask me questions or whatnot, it's almost overwhelming to come up with a response to try, try to point them in the right direction because you have to be. A lunatic, in my opinion, <laughs> to try to be a photographer or a videographer, or anybody in this world, like it's it's such a up and down uh roller coaster ride like you're 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 happy one minute uh, that you just landed a cool project or job, not really thinking about the money or uh or the pay. um it could just be that you're shooting something really fun that's really attractive to you, but then in the back of your head you're also thinking well the bank account needs to keep growing as well and so and you're also a one man band generally i mean you have a crew when you need a crew but um it's just a frustrating uh career uh i've learned it's so up and down it's like a feast or a, famine it's a, yeah, never it's i've like never a bipolar um <laughs> yeah uh psychotic person yeah. like, that you're dealing with like, i've
0: there's been times where i feel like i'm going crazy because yeah. of stuff with the up and down or wondering like what am i doing is this should i be doing this i know but then i'm just like but i just can't quit you i know i gotta come back I
1: sucker for it
0: <laughs> you give me you always do yeah do you uh we're, i know i'm kind of want to get close to the end here we've been here talking for a while um but I feel like we could talk for a lot longer still. It's been a while since we've caught up.
1: Yeah, we've been all over the place. Uh, what else, man? Um. Trying to think of like other questions that would be good for um, freelancers. Because I know the things that we've covered, I don't know. They're, freelancers, new ones, probably have like a array of questions. That yeah, they it's
0: been so long since... Probably. I you even thought about a lot of weird, this stuff.
1: Like, yeah, when you're not, when it, once you, your mindset changes once you kind of get into it, because you um, realize that you have all these duties and things that you have to do whenever you're actually working. But before you're working, you might have like a preconceived idea of things that you think you're going to be doing. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, one thing uh, to say out there to freelancers, for instance, is, Uh, I take pictures probably one day a week on average, like throughout the year. So if you think that I take pictures every day um, of people for money all the time, that's simply not true. Uh, It's like one day a week and the rest of the time, like I'm always chasing a dollar, always um, like I think a lot about uh, Minecraft and things, and you know, I fiddle a lot with the things that I have, and so I'm always just um, thinking about who I maybe want to work for, or who I could send this project I just did uh, to someone else mm-hmm. and um, try to get some traction going.
0: It's almost, it's almost somewhere to like the thought that came to my mind was like 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 sports players, yeah. where basketball players aren't just playing basketball games all the time. There's not just like in a game every day and that's all they do. It's like, no, they're like yeah, practicing and taking care of themselves and doing all these other things so that when they're on the court, they can hit that shot or whatever it is. Yeah,
1: And that's one of the only cool things I can say about social media, maybe for instance, uh, is you get a sense of what someone's day to day life is like and what their hobbies are. Now a lot of photographers that I follow aren't that open with information of that they're sharing and then there's some people that I follow that are just obnoxious and annoying <laughs> and like they're just like talking into the camera just like every other 14-year-old girl <laughs> and it's like there's some people that are more more um, interesting and whatnot. But then there's also the human element to it of like, just seeing like other people that are just generally living and going about their life until they have a shoot or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, on that story mode or whatever, you'll see that they're doing their shoot. They're working that day. And I mean, that's why um, photographers or creatives um, like whenever you submit an estimate or whatever. It may appear to be like a large amount of money, but we don't get paid every two weeks. (laughs) Uh, Projects and things don't come up that frequently. It's not there every day. It's not there every day. Um, For the general consensus, I feel like this is probably true. Now there are heavy hitter photographers and creatives and freelancers in the world that are working every day. Um, and I think you can kind of dictate how much you want to work every day. I mean, you can get up and, um, you know, grind from like eight to five, but I'd be interested to see a detailed report of what you actually did from eight to five. I, I generally wake yeah. up around uh, nine o'clock every day. And the first thing I do is I check my email and I, make sure that I get rid of all the junk email and I find out if I have any interest from clients about a potential project and I try to email them back as, as soon as possible and you want to um, pay attention to your phone and have a phone that has email notifications because when an editor or somebody from an agency uh, reaches out they will want an answer um, about something or to be acknowledged Fairly quickly. So that was uh, another big tip that I got early on um, was to get a smartphone, which, ironically, these smartphones could be the things that kill us all. Uh, <laughs> kill our, kill our, Not uh, so now? <laughs> no, phone. that's so smart. That's so
0: smart. Well, dude, um, anyth- anything else before we wrap up?
1: Any last, um, mm, yep. I've, I uh, like final, final last words, I guess is, uh, final, final last words. Final last words is I guess freelancing is a terribly challenging, uh, career choice. Um, it's full of up and ups and downs, like I said. Um, but if you're a person with a lot of discipline and, um, can create some form of structure out of complete beautiful chaos uh, and get used to the fact that you will not have any job security, then maybe freelancing is for you. (laughs) But I mean, not to sound harsh or anything, but the world will still be spinning on its axis if you do not make it as a freelancer. And that's something I remind myself of every day, which is why the uh, fear is always that Work's just going to dry up and I'm never going to work again. But I mean, that's the fire that burns underneath my bottom <laughs> that makes me. I, I got to go. Stuff. I got to do something. I got to go shoot something. Or I got to shoot a personal project or I've got to, you know, reach out to another potential client or I've got to re- redo my website or I've got to filter out my inbox. Um, whatever that task is, or I've got to create another archive onto another hard drive of like this batch of work that I have. I always try to find something to keep me busy. Uh, and I work out now too, um, quite a bit. And I'm trying to see the benefit of um, being a, a healthier version of myself um, by staying more active.
0: So, it makes a big difference, man.
1: Yeah. Well, you got to keep your mental health in check because this career choice will test you. <laughs> yes. It will. I've it's, I've gone pretty mad at times. I mean, it just
0: it uses so many different. Uh, it's so very like analytical, but also creative. Like there's these two different sides where it's almost like two completely different types of processes. And so even to the point where I separate them, I try to separate them out into different types of into different days where it's like these days are creative days. These days are do bullshit days. You know, task. Days yeah. because it's a different headspace and trying to back and forth between yeah. them,
1: and you you got to find a balance, which it seems like you do. You're 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 learning more and more, and we all do. Um, but yeah, you're tackling like the crazy impossible project that seems like uh, insane. The bus project, which yeah. is super fascinating but and interesting. Are, I can't wait to see it.
0: Hopefully, when this thing comes out, if all is gone as planned, um, we'll be. I'm, Living in a school bus motorhome conversion that I uh, started in October 2019. It's currently February. I think by the time this comes out, it'll probably be, I don't know, August or September. And then hopefully we'll have lived in the bus for about three or four months by this point. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. I also hope that. This
1: is gonna I'm be. I'm not a, in Texas right this now because be, it's gonna be hot as hell, This is probably. gonna be a bad podcast review <laughs> if you come back and you're not y'all. You're speaking
0: of reviews, if you could go leave a review and these guys <laughs> over here, what are they talking about? Dude, where can people find you and your work online?
1: So my name is again Jonathan Zizzo, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, Z-I-Z-Z-O.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I am the Ziz. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well, but I don't really use it. And uh, yeah. Cool, man.
0: I will put links to that stuff uh, in the show notes as always. Thanks for coming on, man.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Good Good to see you. Good to chat.
0: Yeah, you too, man. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of freelance Friday. And as always, I'm going to ask you, please go leave a rating and a review. It's really helpful. in so many different ways, um, like I've told you before for us to get validation on the things that we're talking about and, and to know that we're giving you, um, helpful and educational information, cause that's really the goal with this podcast is to help you out. And if there's any things that, you know, we're talking about and going, you know, that's not really doing it for me. I'm not really getting much out of this, or it would be really nice if you talked about these things that you've never talked about before. I would like to know that so that we can get it on the show or even honestly, if you have guests that you would like to hear from and I'll do what I can to get them on. That's all for today. Thanks so much. Freelance Freddy is a Vacacy production. Vacacy is a freelance content creator based in the United States and available worldwide. Vacacy, big
1: production value, freelance agility and scale.